fabric designer, quilt designer, shop owner, mentor, and mother of seven, this week's guest leads a full, vibrant life, and she is just rich with talent and creativity. Today, I'll have a chat with Anna Maria Horner. Welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Hello and welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast, where we explore the stories of quilt teachers, speakers, artists, and everyday creative people to share their tips, adventures, and day-to-day life that'll bring you more joy and less overwhelm in your quilting studio. I'm your host, Brandy Maslowski, also known as the Quilter on Fire, and I can't wait to share this week's episode with you. So here we go. I am so excited to chat today with Anna Maria Horner. She is a true creative, a quilt designer, shop owner, and probably best known for her unique fabric designs. She uses bold colors and a gorgeous, vibrant mix of designs and patterns to create instantly recognizable fabric. Her pattern designs are bold and beautiful, and her trunk show was just filled with eye candy and very inspiring. So let's explore her story. Anna Maria, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brandy. I'm so happy to be here and very honored that you asked me to join you. I'm so happy to have you here. This is going to be a great little chat. So I always love to take a look back in your lecture. You mentioned a book that you poured over when you were young. Well, my mother's best friend, Joanne, gave me this book and she just saw my interest in fabric. I was taking some mixed media textile courses when I was getting my art degree And I honestly think the book is just called Quilts, but it's a compendium on American quilting. And it just is like a little gallery view of everything from Guise Bend to slave quilts to Hawaiian quilts to art quilts. You know, so it was a little bit of everything. And then some English paper piecing, I think I had in there as well. But I didn't grow up with quilting. Like so many people who I've met in this community. I grew up with basically every other form of textile craft, but quilting was not one of them. And so it just opened my eyes. And as I went along from school into doing a clothing line, into doing product design and and all sorts, I would always look back at that book. And I think as much as anything, it kind of showed me what's possible in terms of how many visuals you can create with this technique of joining pieces of fabric together is pretty astounding. So it was yeah. just like a great intro for me. Yeah. It's nice and to it's have that little seed, a seed drop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice to have that little creative inspiration when you're young. So where are you living right now in the world and who are your loved ones that you share your world with every day? So I'm in the living room of a new to me home in Franklin, Tennessee, which is just south of Nashville by about 30 minutes. It's this 1900 little cottage that is kind of in this historic downtown area of Franklin. And we just moved here last April. So I'm finally, I was just thinking I'm experiencing my fourth and final season. My first, I've been through all like spring, summer, fall, and now I'm in winter. And I thought, wow, I will have been through a full year and all the seasons in this house. I'm the mother of seven, but 
I've got birds kind of flying the nest. I moved, I moved into this. I was wanting to downsize from our longtime family home, which I absolutely love and I'm so grateful for, but it was just time to move on. When I was looking at downsizing, I just had three or four kids in the house because others had moved out, had jobs and COVID happened and then they moved back. And I'm like, wait, 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 I was downsizing, <laughs> you know? So when I moved into this house, I moved into this little three bedroom house with six kids. And, but in the course of just the past few months, I'm down to three. So in the house with me now is my daughter, Eleni. So the last three that are in school are Eleni, who's a senior and Roman, who is in the seventh grade and Mariana, who is in the third grade. So, and Comet the dog, but they all kind of come and go, you know how it is. Yeah. Okay. So I can see that you're sitting on a gorgeous pile of quilts. What was your first quilt? Tell us that story pretty simple, like maybe a lot of quilts. The actual very, very first quilt I made was just an experiment when I was taking a textile class in college because my instructor was very into art quilts. We were really doing like mixed media on fabric and those sorts of things, but he did introduce us about the same time as I was given that book to patchwork processes and mostly art quilts. So I kind of experimented with one. I think it was like the pattern would have been a kaleidoscope quilt. Like it was just a square cut in pie shapes with corners. I think that's a kaleidoscope-ish pattern. It's kind of, I left it out in the sun when I was in my twenties and it just sort of like got sad and I, I don't think it exists anymore. And then, but when I would say like my first quilt, when I join the community of quilt making and designing fabric were also were were not patterned they didn't they weren't blocks they were more experimental in terms of like visual space much more like a canvas might be of art and i think that's what attracted me to quilt making or that's how i saw quilts as two-dimensional art you know i of course understood that they would be functional and um, could warm you and be on your bed and all these things. But I really was always seeing quilts as visual space. And so my first few, like I, I knew how to do bias because I was a dressmaker. And so I knew a bias could curve. So my first few quilts had bias vines and, you know, weren't really pictorial necessarily. I had this one bohemian quilt uh, made out of my first fabric collection that was patches, but also had bias and ovals on it. And then once I had done my second, third collection garden party, I was really interested in making something more pictorial. So like a floral scene. And that was the beginning of my quilt making. And that felt the most natural to me. I did not have any techniques practiced or really, truly understood. I just made it in a way that a dressmaker might make a two-dimensional thing. And that's just with sewing skills, you know, but no real practice technique of applique or anything like that. And I usually open my quilt lectures with showing that quilt, which I called the quilt I made before I knew how to make a quilt yeah. <laughs> is the official title. But it's really lovely for me to look back at that sort of pictorial floral quilt because after self-teaching all the blocks and the techniques and the various methods at arriving at the same style block and then combining patchwork with applique and small applique and large applique. I've kind of stylistically landed, but now with practice and technique Mm -hmm. at, at a very similar place to where my instinct was to making quilts. And that is pictorial. And that is kind of presenting them as these visual canvases, if you will. So yeah. 
And your trunk show was incredible. So if you're listening to this and you ever get a chance to see the trunk show, you have to jump on board and buy a ticket. So did you have another career before quilting? What's the story behind Craft South? Seven or eight years ago, I started as a monthly pop-up first, and then we located in a brick and mortar building in 2015. But Craft South is a supply shop. Um, a fabric, yarn, embroidery, sewing machines, but it's a workshop space. It, it's in its second location now in the Woodbine area of Nashville. And, you know, in terms of our education, I think that was really kind of the core for me is to have a place locally where I could work towards supporting the community of quilting and crafting in my own hometown and provide a space that I can walk into and teach not just on these larger format weekend workshops where people will come from all parts of the country or even outside the country to join us for a weekend with myself or with Jen Kingwell or with Denise Schmidt or Kathy Dowdy. You know, I really liked being able to create that very special atmosphere. So that's kind of at the core of what Craft South is, is having that environment of just very fertile idea making, sharing. And, but on the day-to-day, it is a supply shop and we do day-to-day classes like Patchwork 101, Knitting 101, Embroidery 101, and, and then on up into higher levels of each of those individual crafts, whether it's dressmaking or whatever. But I learned to sew first by making clothes because my mother sewed for me. And I was really interested in that and was really interested in fashion went to art school, made my wedding dress, made my prom dresses. And so sewing was very uh, natural and comfortable for me. Quilt making didn't enter my lexicon, as I said, until I was shown quilts when I was studying. But my first work out of school was a clothing shop called Handmaiden that my Mm. mom and I opened and had the little, the label was Handmaiden. It was our clothing. I designed everything and we sewed everything right there in the storefront. And this was 30 years ago. This was before Etsy. It was before any online shopping. It was before small batch cottage industry. Anything was, I'm not going to say it wasn't possible, but people weren't shopping that way. They weren't thinking that way for making clothing. The only option seemed to just do it in the raw and sell it or to go be hired by a fashion company and design clothes. So, but that was my first work. And I had this clothing line for five years. And then my family was growing. I think by the time I let it go, I had three kids, but somewhere in there, I was also selling it to the clothing line to other shops. And we were really truly just making everything ourselves. And when I was at that juncture of hiring deciding on whether I was going to hire people to sew and kind of grow and manage it and see how many shops I could get the little clothing line into. It seemed like the whole big management business piece of it felt so much bigger than the creative piece. And that had me losing a little interest. And so I started approaching doing creative design work by partnering with other companies and not in fashion, because that wasn't quite possible for me, but like through giftware or what some people know as surface textile design. So in other words, like I was making art and I was partnering with companies for the art to land on greeting cards or tabletop dinnerware or also some home deck things. So that is where I was when I got discovered by Free Spirit Fabrics. Yeah. But so my life right before quilting was doing lots of art, but having it appear on lots of different types of products out in the world. But then once fabric found me, yeah. 
I was happy to just stay and expand in this community. Yeah. And it's so incredible that you did all of that while raising seven children. I mean, that's whose idea was that (laughs) seven full-time jobs. (laughs) It Um, It was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, well, let's talk about the fabric. I'm so excited about yeah. the fabric. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. So tell us about your very first designs and a little bit about your process. Do you sketch it all out? Do you do everything digitally? How does it work? Yeah. Well, it has, you know, like most things that you've been at for almost two decades, it has evolved over the years. My very first collection, I've been with Free Spirit since the beginning. My very first collection was in 2005 and it was called Bohemian. And I truly had no idea. I just drew what I thought was interesting, which was pretty hazily squirrels, but all very imaginary and geometrics. I think I was probably most focused on color because coming from a fashion background and entering the patchwork world, I didn't really know that quilting fabrics, when Donna Wilder approached me to do fabrics, my idea of quilting was very Civil War, right? I didn't know that right at that time, like Amy Butler had her fabrics just a couple years before that, I think launched and Denise Schmidt with her beautiful vintage style. And so I had never heard of these people and not until I went to the Free Spirit website where Amy and Denise both were at the time, was I, did I get it and understand why Donna asked me to design fabric? Cause I was like, quilting fabrics, isn't that mostly brown and gray? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like why? <laughs> Cause I've always been colorful, you know? Yeah. And, um, but I got it. So once I saw these other designers, I got it. I understood why Donna would ask someone like me to make quilting fabrics. And so I, but she really gave me free reign. She didn't give me really any specific direction other than send me some art and we'll see what we can do. So the moment of getting the first fabric in boxes in the mail with my name on the salvage was very exciting. And keep in mind, like at this time, I was also getting like Christmas mugs or greeting card sets or coasters or all these other things I was designing, but not until the fabric arrived, did I say to myself, Oh my gosh, I can sew with this. Like it hadn't even occurred to me. I was so busy with mothering young children and trying to get as much freelance artwork as I could, I did not really look at fabric at the time as anything other than another product design opportunity. I didn't see it as an avenue that would really kind of provide a career home that it has. But I think it was that creative spark of having the fabric in my hands that sort of said, oh, I can say something with this. Well, I'm going to try a quilt. What am I quilt? Like, I don't know, you know, and then like slowly the conversation between the quilts that I was attempting to make. And then the next collection of fabric started getting more interesting. Like what I wanted the fabric to be was influenced by what I was making with my quilt. So mm-hmm. it really informed the scale of the elements, the colors, the little dialogues between the different prints. Like it really, other than me just kind of understanding, okay, there's a feature print and then there's a coordinate and then there's a small floral. Like I got the formula really quickly when I looked at collections. Yeah. But for me personally, what my fabrics became and still are now have very, very much to do with what I'm interested in making with these quilts and, and hopefully what other people are interested in. Yeah. So you have a whole bunch of lines of fabric now. So how did they evolve over time? Yeah. Dozens of lines, but yeah, most of the evolution has been in my process of making them in terms of how I prepare the art from the beginning. I have drawn 
And then that drawing has to end up into the computer digitally. And then it's kind of redrawn digitally. My daughter, who's an artist as well, my oldest daughter, she always got after me because I would sit there and draw with the mouse. I didn't have stylus and the, all these fancy like Wacom tablets or like whatever yeah. they are, you know, I just... I was so comfortable with pencil and paper that that's where it all started. And it still does for the most part. But about four years ago is when I started the process digitally with an Apple pencil and an mm. iPad so that my sketches aren't always graph. I mean, I will still sketch in my sketchbook, just working through ideas. But yeah. in terms of like really finished work now, I'm starting with my Apple pencil and my iPad on Procreate. And the reason I like Procreate and that Apple Pencil is because I can adjust the line and mm. the perfectness of the line. I really oh. like a very organic edge to things. I like it when it looks hand-drawn and I didn't want a really overly digitized version yeah. of my art, you know? So anyway, but I can, I can make those adjustments now so that it looks more like a raw drawing and that sort of thing. But that's pretty much my process now is to collect sketches and then make my digital drawings and then do the repeats and then do more and more and more and finish the art, send it off, get the art back in the form of our first fabric samples. And then it becomes about perfecting the color. Industry-wise, the process has gotten longer from when you first turn in the sketch to when the fabric is on the shelf. We used to work about 12 to 13 months out, it's a bit more like 16 now. And a lot of that has to do with supply chain in our current world. Well, it's nice to get a glimpse into your creative process. So when did pattern design come into play? Was it right with that first line of fabric or did you start attending shows? Yeah. So the Free Spirit website always had this format of every time there was a new collection of fabric, there would also be a, a pattern that goes with it and it would be a free download on Free Spirit's website. So from the very beginning, even my first quilt, I designed a quilt for Bohemian and it was small diamonds that made up large diamonds and, you know, it was just very patchy. So I've always contributed pattern ideas. At the beginning, I was not writing the patterns. Now, in addition to contributing pattern ideas for Free Spirit, I have my own patterns that I'm doing. I would say my first personal ones where I was designing the pattern and selling it and writing it myself was probably around 10 years ago, around 2010, 2011, I started after I had launched um, some clothing patterns and and got comfortable with the instruction writing. (laughs) And I really do love technical things. I, I do all my own technical drawings when it's a pattern that I've written, whether it's for garments or for quilts. I love that fussy technical stuff, but I also like for it to be hand drawn and warm and approachable and the language to speak pretty plainly. And so it's been interesting to be a pattern writer because it changes how I design things. Like at the beginning, when I was making these interesting quilts to take to quilt market twice a year, I started wanting to be able to make the quilts makeable by other people, you know, because it's great to show what the fabric looks like in this quilt, but if people can't reproduce your quilt, there's a shorter life to that quilt other than maybe just hoping it hangs in a museum one day, right? So teaching the quilts either in patterns or in workshops and classes has really contributed to how I design them. I think through as I'm making it, how a person's going to be able to do this and what the easiest way to explain it is. Yeah. 
Well, I really want to get into some of your gorgeous pattern designs. And so let's talk a little bit about your cross country series of quilts. You have these giant X style designs, yeah. big X's, and you've switched it up a bit moving from one quilt to another. So tell us about that series. Yeah, I would love to. So cross country was one of three quilts that I kind of designed around the same time in 2015. And those were designed to use my luminous fabrics, which were just yarn dyed fabrics. They weren't printed. So they were just these bright, colorful, like check stripes, textured designs. And not using print really let me focus on the structure and visual interest of the piecework and the quilts. I had seen a few X format quilts over the years, mostly vintage style ones. And I really liked that sort of dynamic on point design. And so the original cross country is actually quite straightforward and simplistic, uses very large pieces, it's anchored in the center with a nine patch on point. And then it has your X bars that meet it and go out in four directions. And then what you could kind of call these giant setting triangles on the right, left, top and bottom. And that's where I played with some applique on that original cross country quilt. And I have reimagined it in a few ways where those major elements of those four X bars and that center nine patch and those giant setting triangles, I've just done different things within those spaces. And in my mind, I kind of think of that as like blueprint quilting or like it's got the same footprint, like almost like a house plan when you look at an aerial view of a house plan and this room has this in it and that room has that in it, mm -hmm. you know, all the rooms stay in the same place. You're just changing what's in them. Right. Yeah. And so that's kind of what I have really enjoyed doing, particularly with that one, because you can make it quite different. So I've done one where I put applique in the center instead of the nine patch, and then just a quarter log cabin triangles out at the edges, which creates this whole secondary design, like a God's eye design. I also, I did that for my passion flower collection. And then I also reimagined that same cross country format with lots of patchy color and a really dramatic black and simple circular applique, just floating instead of meandering vines. And then each of those bars in the X is filled with different scales of small patches. And that one, I call it the free spirit quilt in my head because it's all free spirit designers, myself and lots of others. And because there's so many colors and so many styles of fabric all coming together in one place, I really focused on value and how light and how dark the spaces were. And I let the value hold the main conversation in the quilt yeah. and not just the design, but, you know, artists do this all the time. I was so impressed when I was in art school and I had a watercolor class with Marsha Goldenstein and she was a beautiful teacher, a beautiful artist. And I will never forget when she showed us, and I, I can't even remember the artist's name, but she showed us a female artist's work where this woman painted this one landscape scene over and over and over and over. like for a few years all she did was paint this one scene from yeah. this one angle in winter and spring and night and morning and day and rain and charcoal and oil and pastel and line drawing you know and they were all remarkable and they were all so different and I never forgot what it meant to be I, I think that 
presentation of a body of work really taught me to be curious. It, it was just such an impressive drive that this woman had. And I relate that to curiosity. There is so much you can do, even with just focusing on one approach or one yeah. scene or one palette or, Absolutely. and it's just, it reminds us how exponential this work can be, you yeah. know, and I, I and, love that. And when I watched your trunk show, I really admired your use of color and value in your quilts. So do you design on a wall or do you design on paper in your mind when you're creating a quilt or do you just throw the fabric up on the wall and play with it? Some of both, but I think what has evolved to be my process, because very often the quilts become patterns that other people use, is a drawing. And so my father's an engineer, and I think my brain kind of works that way. And I, I love remodeling and I love structure. And I think that part of what attracts me to quilt making is or completely what attracts me to quilt making is that combination of structure and color. So I'm always seeing both, but I do think structure comes first for me. It's just like a home, you know, you build it and then you decorate it. And that's how I see kind of making quilts. Like I build it in terms of what are the components going to be? How large are they going to be? How various are they going to be? What's going to happen when they come together? You know, so very frequently my, starting point is pen and paper on, on graph paper. I decide straight away, is it going to be a, a, on a grid or on a point? And I will draw some elements of whether or not they're going to be repeated. And then as I'm doing that, I generally start thinking through how the value of a thing is going to happen. Is the light going to come from the center? Is it going to be deep in the center and get light as it goes out towards the edges? Is it going to alternate continuously to kind of play with us? You know, so I am thinking about value possibly more than color because we know, and I know if I'm using my fabrics, it's going to be colorful. Yeah. Right? So there's never a question of, is this going to be a colorful quilt? Yes. And you moved from those giant X style designs to block quilts. So tell us about Folk Flower. Yeah. Yeah. So Folk Flower was probably my first, I I got very into applique and I really like the free form qualities that applique afforded and the very obvious welcome into pictorial quilts and florals. And I never met a flower I didn't like, honestly, whether it's drawing one, gardening one or sewing an applique one or stitching one. And so my first block applique was folk flower. And it, it honestly couldn't be more simple. It's just a square on point with a stem in the center, a circle, like a lollipop circle on top, and then two symmetrical little pointy round leaves. And, but of course I know I'm going to try to use very interesting flowers in that flower head, really play with just texture and color in the background versus more feature things. And it was a pretty uncomplicated design, but of course, then that next thing I did with the first version that I made of folk flower was to really play with the atmosphere of the background fabrics. So the original one had a pale gray, which was very unusual for me to use <laughs> gray at all. Yeah. Um, these very subdued fabrics, but I had done a collection called skipping stones, which was mm-hmm. just that. So it, it made a good backdrop for these more vivacious, bright floral, intense designs. And then as the rings went out towards the edges, they got darker and darker and darker. And so while it might've been a block quilt, there was still a single 
sort of design trick, if you will, which I really enjoy. And we're kind of chatting through a series of your quilts and are these available as patterns on your website? Yeah. So if you go to AnnaMariaHorner.com and you'll find quilt patterns and templates. And then I have both printed patterns as well as PDF and some are both. Okay. Okay. So we've mentioned cross country and folk flower. So the next sort of series, you went and played outside the lines a little bit. You, with natural cadence, you had squares on point that were kind of off the edge of the quilt and you had solids that were kind of juxtaposed with prints in a very organized way. So tell us about natural cadence. Yeah. Natural cadence is a very straightforward square on point, but I had seen a vintage scallop quilt, but the scallops weren't continuously even all the way around the edges. They were irregular in the center Mm -hmm. on the sides. They came out, um, they broke out of that straight border and I loved the idea. So as I often do, I just kind of keep it in the back of my head and wait for it to be the right time. So I came up with the name Cadence because of the rise and fall of the points off the edge. Reminded me like musical, you know, your sound bars and things like that. I thought about the rise and fall. So that was featuring Hindsight, which was like an anniversary, a 15 year anniversary collection that I did in 2020. And I did three Hindsight quilts and they were all applique, but this it is square on point, but at the corners where four blocks intersect, I overlaid applique to create different things. So that was kind of a new thing where applique wasn't sitting in the middle of the block or on mm. this big background scene, but I used those intersections of the blocks to be the little applique space, which was pretty cool. I think visually it gave lots of the points, soft edges, yeah. but then as you said, kind of juxtaposed with a gradation of reds and a gradation of teals and yeah solids which I don't use a ton so it was a fun little color play for me and after that you took a little departure from the on point quilt with reserve garden was this was your first quilt during the pandemic so tell us about that yeah so I had come across this term called reserve gardening which historically I think they found it first to be used in this like ladies home companion of gardening in in England from a few hundred years ago. And the idea was that, and I'm, I'm a very amateur, but very earnest gardener. (laughs) And the idea was that you would have this reserve bed on your property where no one could see what's happening, right? Because maybe some plants need to convalesce and, you know, if they've gotten sick or they're kind of failing or Maybe you had them in the wrong spot and so they didn't thrive, or maybe you're propagating bulbs or some other plants and they're not at the show level. So they're not on the outer perimeter of your yard, right? So you have this reserve garden. (laughs) And I loved that idea so much, you know, the, the correlation between that gardening concept and what we all seem to be doing at the beginning of the pandemic when we had to cancel our workshops, cancel our travel, I couldn't go out and show my things on the perimeter of my garden, right? (laughs) It was just, we have social media and all that, but we were all like sunk in on one level or another, you know, at the beginning and and maybe still, but I thought the, 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 the concept and then the way the world was, was pretty aligned. And so I started working on this. I had been working on the third of the three quilts using hindsight fabric. And so I designed reserve garden. And I just pictured the center applique block of that quilt being the reserve 
Yeah. And then the outer borders being all perfect. And so there's kind of four panels that swim around the outside and it's all based on simple 12 inch blocks, just how they come together creates an overall and repeats itself, but it's very regular, you know, on the outside. And is this when you started creating families of templates for quilts? This was my second group of templates. So <laughs> the cross country quilt came at a time where I had three patterns using the in bloom templates yeah. and then the natural cadence reserve garden and pedophores all used the moonbeam templates. Wow. So I really liked again, how many ways can we do this one thing, taking those templates for swoopy shapes or curved shapes or leaves or florals or however you want to use them, but taking those templates and showing them all used different ways. So yeah. like same exact family of templates, but three different quilts and yeah. ideas for them. Okay. Yeah. So you have a new fabric collection coming out called Welcome Home. It's coming out in May. So yeah. can you tell us about that and the medallion quilt that goes with it? Yes, I'd be happy to. So Welcome Home was conceived of when I was looking for a new home, <laughs> as well as looking forward to being reunited with people around the world that I love and thinking about all the cities that I miss traveling to, thinking about cities that I've been to enough times now that something about them feels like home, you know, like something familiar about whether it's Perth or Patras, where my father was born in Greece and all my family live, you know, and so I chose and then named each of the prints in the collection after a city. And it was yeah. just a really fun exercise to name this print London. And what do I think of when I think of London? What does that look like to me? So that's yeah. the background behind Welcome Home. And this works beautifully for a club, which we have that lots of shops are participating in. It's called the Welcome Home Club and it's called the Welcome Home Quilt. And it's a five month block of a month program. So if you want to get fabrics to participate and join with me, you can go to the Free Spirit Fabrics website and on their Be Inspired tab. If it's not there yet, it will be soon because the club doesn't start until June of 2022, but there will be a list of all the shops that are participating. So you can click through to one that you know, or one you want to get to know and reserve your spot and sew along with me for five months. So you look at the fabric, the pattern, and then I put out a video every month of the block of the month showing just extra tips because the pattern's all great, but it's sometimes it's nice to actually see a person doing a thing. So we have done that last year with bright eyes and the visions quilt the year before with the hindsight quilt. And it's been really good fun. The videos are posted on Facebook, but if you're not on Facebook, they post them at free spirit to you. If you like Facebook, it does work well because you can interact with all the other people making the quilt. So that's yeah. pretty fun. Let's talk for a second about the websites, because there's a few different websites people can go to, yep. to find what you have to offer. So there's the Anna Maria Horner website. And so what's the quilt shop website? Craft South, but the website has a hyphen. So it's okay. craft-south.com. And the Anna Maria Horner site is just my product. And okay. then Craft South has my product as well, but it's all the other things we carry, like all the other designers that we carry and other product we bring into the shop. So it's more expansive, okay. but my site is just my brand. Yeah. Okay. And then also the free spirit website has all the free spirit designers. And of course, like you That's just right. mentioned, great right. clubs and free patterns and all sorts. Yeah. Okay. That sounds really good. So do you have anything you can tell us about that you're working on right now, like brand new, that's kind of an inspiration on your design wall? Well, 
a big inspiration right now was working on a studio. I'm interviewing uh-huh. builders right now to build one at my uh-huh. new property because when I moved into this little cottage, I did so knowing that I was going to be leaving behind a very big attic studio space. So I, for the past nine months, I've had my larger sewing workspace at Craft South and then the back area of there, I have kind of a section that belongs to me and at home it's just a little office, but I'm building a new building at the back of my house for my studio. So it's the first time I've ever gotten to just build something from the ground up. So that'll be um, so great. Always working on new fabric. Yeah. I'm always working on new fabric. I've got two in the hopper, but this summer, late in the summer, almost towards the fall in August, I'm releasing my first line of cotton lawn for the first in a long time called Vivacious, which I'm excited about because that lends itself to flowy garments and softer quilts. And so I'm excited about that. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk a little (laughs) bit about some of your quilt travels. I know that you're a teacher and speaker and you've traveled. What have been some of the highlights? Like I know, I know you mentioned Australia. Love Australia. It feels like my home away from home. I think probably I think I've only been there four times now and also to New Zealand I've been to once and just absolutely love it. But yeah, you know, sometimes I really do just, I love home. I really, really love home, <laughs> but sometimes I just pinch myself and just so grateful for how I've gotten to see the world, you know, whether it's Norway or, or the Netherlands or England, you know, all over this country, Australia, New Zealand, like what a beautiful way to see the world. Because as you know, when you have, I don't know if you've ever just met someone out of the blue, not at a quilting conference or organization or anything, but just met someone out of the blue and learned that they're a quilter, yeah. you know, or sit next to someone on a plane, oh, not yeah. headed to quilt market and, yeah. and learn that they're a quilter. And you just, I mean, there's something about having quilting in common in pe- with people yeah. that's different than both owning a corgi or something, you know, yeah. like, it's just yeah. like quilt people have a commonality that I think is really lovely and special and like getting to connect with quilters in different parts of the world. is just incredible. You know, you feel so comfortable straight away. And on top of that, when people are excited that you're there, like how much better could that be? I remember when I, in fact, that cross country quilt, I called it that because I was preparing these quilts before my first trip to Australia. And once I learned that I was going to get to go all the way over to Western Australia, which not everybody does because it's way over there, right? Because you have Sydney and Adelaide and Melbourne and Brisbane and everything over here on the east side and Southeast. So, you know, it's the difference between like in New York and LA, like going all the way out to Perth, you know, it's yeah. very beautiful and diverse and interesting, but remote, you know? Yeah. And I remember going out there and people saying, thank you so much for coming. No one ever comes this far. <laughs> but when I learned I was going to do that, that's why I named that quilt cross country, you yeah. know, that I was going to be going cross country to that part of the world. But I fell in love with it. Like, I don't like to pick favorites, but that side of the country is just yeah. like scenery and, and, and the ocean and the forests and the people and like, just beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about your teaching because earlier in this interview, you mentioned that really at the core of your quilt shop is this educational space, right? So yeah. what, what are your favorite workshops to teach? I love teaching applique. I have this process of applique little vignettes that I call applique stories. And mm-hmm. I developed it for myself as these sort of small scale 
little adventures and applique where they're for the most part raw edge and really just a visual opportunity to play with fabric and imagery and the elements and fabric and combine and make kind of a beautiful composition without the hassle of how is it going to wash? How am I going to sew it down? What piece do I put down first? I really want people to like let go mm-hmm. of worrying about what's going to happen when I machine quilt this. You know what I mean? Just yeah. like only respond visually and let's call it an exercise. We don't even have to call it a thing. You know, this is just this beautiful visual exercise. And for the most part, they end up being things that people love very much, whether they make it into a cushion or the central block of a medallion quilt or frame it on their wall or make it a tote, you know, but I really love kind of untethering people from doing it right. Whether it's, you know, they're trying, they've tried to do needle turn and they're not comfortable yet, or they've been doing so much needle turn, they're just have lost interest. Right. So I really love teaching applique stories and I have a little club for it on my website as well, where we do every other month, you get a stack of like fabric that has been pulled together to create these really beautifully. But applique stories is wonderful because you do see people just kind of like get into a space where they're just kind of responding to what's in front of them. And it's very freeing. And I think without the pressure of what is it going to be, you know, and am I doing it right? (laughs) And I also really love teaching color theory classes. I call it color fluency. And, you know, that's rooted in my education as an art student and like how color works scientifically and the color wheel and all those things, but really stressing that we can let these things inform us, but not rule our choices because there's what color does, but then there's also what you do. And it's kind of using that sort of science as a strength and not a rule of how you put things together is, is really fun. And I do this little fun color swapping game where everyone is a different position on the color wheel and we swap mm-hmm. colors. Yeah. That color course sounds like a lot of fun because when you look at an Anna Maria Horner quilt, you've got this sensation of all these colors and it can be, I think a little daunting for the average quilter yeah. to think about how you put that together because it's just so right. beautiful. And there's a lot of oh, color. Thank you. There's a lot of color and it is for most people that I teach, it is easier to appreciate and love it than it is to feel confident going and doing it. And so I think that I'm trying to pull together, at least closer together, the things that you love looking at and the things that you feel comfortable making. I'm trying to get those things to be the same thing to where you love making the things you love looking at. (laughs) Okay, so before we head into the break, what quilt or quilt project has been really memorable for you? Probably working on this open borders quilt that I have next to me was another like early pandemic quilt, if you will. But this one was just for me. Oh, that's great. (laughs) It was not a pattern and probably the first one I made intentionally for my bed. It's still sitting here and it's basted in half hand quilted state, but I made it solely for the intention of like, possessing it, sleeping under it and having it on my bed, not for a show or a pattern or a collection or a class. Oh, I love that. And I often ask the question, doing all of this, raising a family, having a business, designing everything you're doing. I often ask that question, do you have time to actually quilt for yourself? So it's nice. (laughs) It's nice to hear that you've done that project. but But I have, yeah. I have stolen some time here and there. Yeah, that's great. Okay, last question before the break is, in your quilting world, what brings you the most joy? Making someone's life better. 
by inspiring them to close. That sounds like a bold statement, but people will tell you that. Making someone want to do it is just the most joyful thing because I, I do think quilting is happier than not quilting in life, whether you yeah. do it a little bit or a lot, you know, sharing the joy, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Making yeah. someone uh, decide to bound joyously into color. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, absolutely. You already mentioned closing that little gap. So I just think that's so great. Okay, great. So we're going to take a quick break right now. And then when we come back, we're going to talk all about Anna Maria's new studio space, which is a big deal in her world right now and her role as a fabric curator. You don't want to miss this. We'll be right back. Did you know the Quilter on Fire has up to 2,000 unique listens per week? And not only that, each advertisement is up for the life of the podcast. If you have a shop or a business with products or services for quilters and you advertise, you need to advertise right here. Go to quilteronfire.com, click on the drop down, listen and learn to find the podcast page. You can learn more, sign up to advertise and pick your date right there. Are you ready for some quilt destination travel? I'm guiding a tour of quilters to the Birmingham Festival of Quilts in England in August 2022 and another tour to Japan in November 2022 to experience a quilt show there as well. I'm so excited to get on the road and have some fun and I'd love to have you join me. Go to quilteronfire.com events to see the itineraries or call Judy directly at Opulent Quilt Journeys at 1-877-235-3767 to find out more and book your trip today. And we are back with Anna Maria Horner. Can you tell us about your new studio space? What are you going to include in the design since you're creating it from scratch? Yeah, so I live in this historic section of downtown Franklin. And as I said earlier, it's about, you know, a 30 minute drive from Nashville South. And it's nestled in the middle of a lot of farmy area, but it's this beautiful little kind of vibrant downtown area with live music fun little pubs and shopping and restaurants and an old theater. And a lot of it is registered and historic. And this little section that I'm in, as, as lovely as it is and valuable to be in an historic neighborhood, there are extra hoops to jump through if you want to do anything. So this, this cottage was one of about 80 homes that were the first residential homes in, in Franklin. And this one was built in 1900 and it's just on a third of an acre. So compared to the two acres that I left, it's very manageable, which I love. And it's 2,400 square feet of a house compared to 4,000. And so I'm this amount of space is perfect for me personally in terms of like how I like to live and be with the family and what I want to maintain and take care of and what feels doable decorating wise and making it my own. But the only drawback was there was no real significant space for me to spread out and quilt. So the easiest thing for me to do is to build a separate dwelling. And so I'll be building basically like a detached garage, if you will, but it's going to have a whole, a whole second story with dormer windows where I'll have my personal studio upstairs. And then the downstairs will have space for product. And if I have staff come to help me at the house, that there's room for that to be working on things together for the business side as well. But yeah, I've never, I've done a lot of renovation in my life. You know, the family used to run and hide when I would get out the graph paper because that meant I was <laughs> planning to tear a wall down or build a new kitchen or renovate <laughs> an attic. Or, but this is the first ever just completely ground up endeavor, which I think in some ways is actually easier than 
than remodeling because you don't have to be living in it, which yeah. I've done a lot in my life. So I have jumped through the first hoop of getting the historic neighborhood to approve it, which is great. But I was, I had a, <laughs> this is a funny aside. And if, if any of your listeners love homes and historic homes and things like this, they'll appreciate it. I've met and made friends with a neighbor up the street, Becky, who, who happens to be a quilter by oh, chance. Great. And I was talking about wanting to build this studio and she said, well, this is going to sound ridiculous, but I know the architect you should use. Mm. And at first I wasn't sure I would use an architect because I'm like, oh, I can probably download or buy some plans or something. But yeah. then when I realized that this whole approval process is a thing, I thought, well, it might be worth hiring an architect. And so she said, well, I know who you should use. And I'm like, okay. And so she gave me a name and I'm like, great. I'm like, how do you know who I should use? And she said, well, that's a little embarrassing, but the historic zoning approvals has a YouTube channel and you can watch the hearings. And my husband is obsessed with watching them. She told me this, <laughs> right? Yeah. Her husband will sit and watch the YouTube channel of people trying to get their various builds approved. Yeah. So you're sitting and watching a historic board deliberate <laughs> over whether or not you can have an awning over your back door and stuff. And I'm like, he watches that just like he does. Yeah. She said that there is an architect that always gets everything passed when he oh. presents it. So that's what you need to use. There so you go. exactly what I did. Anyway, just a little aside. Yeah. Um, but it's been an interesting process and the building and the look of it has to smash the house and all that. So the outside, there was not a lot in question about what I was going to do, but light is very important, obviously. And it's funny because I thought, oh, it'll be so nice when I move into a different house. Cause I've always worked in an attic and I've never upstairs had the space for a design wall. That's yeah. always been in this room at the bottom of the stairs, yeah. which has been fine. I'm happy to have the space wherever it is. And it's good exercise to go up and down the stairs or like turn on the wall, run up to the machine. Yeah. But, and here I am designing a space and I'm going to be right back up in an attic again. And so I'm going to have to be creative. I'm trying to design some, you know, kind of mobile walls that can slide and move around the space, maybe on the ceiling track up there in the attic, that'll be kind of out in the center of the room. Yeah. So lots and lots of plans to go, but it's luckily I'll be lucky to have it done by the end of this calendar year. Yeah. Well, that sounds really good. We've already mentioned your teaching and I would guess that you primarily teach at Craft South, but have you shifted cool. over to Zoom during the pandemic? Will you be teaching from your studio? Before the pandemic, I actually taught more outside Craft South than oh, at Craft South, traveling. which was kind of a surprise because that's I designed Craft South to always have this place to teach. Yeah. <laughs> <And> anyway, <laughs> then I got great invitations, but and I think that that'll I, I've not really traveled to teach in two years, and so I think like entering it again will settle how much I do it. And um, I've learned to now that my kids are kind of growing up and. It's not as hard to care for them when I'm away, depending on the situation. I find it easier to be gone fewer, longer periods of time. You know, I'd rather go to England for two or three weeks than be going out and back every other weekend, you yeah. know, to places closer. But anyway, Zoom, I have done Zoom lectures, as you know, that's where you saw me. I have not chosen to teach via Zoom. And part of that has had to do with my home studio situation because I don't have, my studio has been at the shop for about the past year, but I can't always teach from there because it's a shop and there's things yeah. going on. Right. Yeah. So I might change my mind about this once mm -hmm. I have space set up, that's easy to work and, and figure out what works for me. But when the pandemic started, my, I had to close Craft South, you know, shop was closed for months and 
it was quiet for about a month. And then the rise in online sales had us busier than we've ever been, whether we were open for business personally and, and, you know, workshop, we had to cancel our workshops, cancel the classes and all that kind of stuff, which is a bit of a heartbreak, but I've been so busy adjusting to the changes in business for online and staff and basically craft South became like a fulfillment center instead of a shop for months and months on end. Yeah. I was so busy adjusting to that. I could not also find the time to make, start this whole new engine of online classes, you yeah. know, because yeah. there was a lot to consider. I basically like to do the lecture lectures that I've done. I have to have a second person there with me. If I want it to be anything like an in-person lecture where we keep looking at new quilts, I needed yeah. to have a second person there to help me. And I had to do it during hours that we were closed at the shop. And so logistically it's been a challenge. Personally, I am less interested in speaking to a screen for teaching than I am being next to a person and digging through their fabric. Now, yeah. if being next to a person and digging through the fabric just stopped being a possibility, I'd find a way. Yeah. But I think I've been holding out a little bit to get back to in-person, you yeah. know, if I'm, if I'm honest. Well, and it makes sense. It makes sense that you're so busy. And I want to talk a little bit about Open Borders because were you thinking yeah. of making a documentary of that quilt over the pandemic? Well, actually, one of the things that I had to cancel was being the keynote speaker for the Quilt Alliance, Quilters Take Manhattan. Okay. In 2020, I was going to be speaking to them in September and it was canceled like a lot of things, but they did go on and decide to make it um, virtual. <laughs> so rather than just doing a virtual lecture and showing various quilts like I would have done in the keynote, I decided it might be interesting to document the making of this quilt. And so I did just very rudimentary sort of video vignettes of working on different parts of it from the sketch, the fabric selection to sewing to the design wall. And so what I did was a live lecture with audio, but it was overlaid over this kind of video vignette compilation that I had of both images of my quilts and the making of this one, which I loved doing. I can see doing presentations like that where mm -hmm. the visual part has already been kind of like cut and edited and curated. Yeah. And then the speaking is live. That's kind of easier for me to manage than having a person. <laughs> yeah. When we move the camera over here and I'm talking about this quilt, someone's over here, like moving the other one, you know, and that's what I've done for my lectures. Yeah. And it, while, while that has worked, I always have to have another person. It has to be daytime. It has to yeah. be, which is hard to do when people are coming from all over the world. Yeah. Well, it'd be nice to have the documentary type thing. Cause then you could, you could have it available on your website so people can just click and buy. Yeah. So if I'm, if I think about doing more of a virtual format, I think more about things like that, yeah, kind of okay. creating a, a piece. Okay. Now this is a topic that I have been dying to talk to you about because I just think it's so wonderful. So I love that you're doing this. So tell us about the conservatory craft. Yeah. So thank you for asking. Conservatory craft is in general, it's like a sub brand of my own brand of fabric. So it's where, you know, with my fabric, I'm in charge of all of it, but the printing and the shipping of it, right? So I conceive of it, I draw it. I work together with Free Spirit to plan and promote and get it out into the world. So with it, everything, make all the art. Conservatory, I've kind of stepped out of the role of artist and into the role of art director. And I, I say curator because it's 
you know, it's really kind of pulling together art from other designers that I really admire. I'll say artists because when I first conceived of this concept, I, I just wanted to contribute to the translation of art that I found beautiful into fabrics that are meaningful for quilting because there's a handful of artists that I had followed for years and I just kept thinking, man, I wish that was on fabric, man, I wish that was on fabric, you know? And so I very selfishly, like lots of things, usually like a business venture or a career venture is because you just want a thing. And I just personally wanted Natalie Latay fabrics or wanted Monica Forsberg fabrics, you know? So I positioned myself to free spirit as like, why don't you let me use what I've learned and going from art to fabric mm-hmm. and just go see if we can attract a few designers to do this little library of fabric releases. And I am that translation point between their art to our fabric. So that's what conservatory is. I'm just happy to make it and get it out into the world. And I like the process of, you know, curating, if you will, but it's just, it's been a great thrill for me. I really love so. the mentorship aspect of that. It's wonderful. Yeah. Okay. So, so now it's time for the lightning round, Robin. So this is a series of rapid fire questions. It's, it's super fun. So are you ready? Um, is anyone ever? (laughs) (laughs) Well, they all say yes, but I don't know if they really are. Well, I'm also the only person that swore on the Bible. (laughs) Okay. I'm ready. Okay. What is your favorite notion? Does a pencil count? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Pencil. A pencil. That's the beginning of your creative adventure, right? Yeah. Okay. How are you inspired to choose colors for your quilts? Art. Okay. Have you had any wonderful quilting mentors along your journey? Donna Wilder. Okay. Do you have any quilty collections of things like thimbles or scissors or Anything you collect? Not quilty collections, but I do have a lot of vintage tapestries, but that inspires quilt ideas. Nice. Okay. Have any of your seven children made a quilt? Yes. Small ones. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Do you have any furry friends in your studio? Yes. I have Comet the dog who's asleep right there right now. Oh, sweet, sweet. Is there anything that you think quilters might not know about you? Um, I'm a swimmer. Ah. That's what I do mentally for mental health, physical health. For about the past five years, I swam as a kid. And then just running was always the easiest thing to do because you could walk out the door. But Yeah. yeah, about this isn't very rapid. But yeah, about five or six years ago, I just decided... I want to get back underwater and there's some things that I can't figure out until my head's underwater. So it's good. It's very escaping. Yeah. Serene and calming. Otherworldly. Yes. Great. Okay. So thank you for braving the lightning round, Robin. So I've mentioned your website at AnnaMariaHorner.com. We can also link to the Quilt Shop Craft South from there where you can find everything that Anna offers. But let's talk about your Instagram feed. It's just exploding with color and it really gives a nice glimpse of your life. There's actually this great photo on there of you standing in front of a scrappy looking X quilt. You've got this quilty looking blouse on and you're, I think you're picking your teeth or something, but it's hilarious. Yeah, it, yes. <laughs> in fact, that, that, that I'm glad you pointed that one out. That 
When I did that virtual presentation to the Cult Alliance, where I presented that documentary, that was about five minutes before I started. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's That's so great. Do I have anything in my teeth? (laughs) Yes. Real life, uh, it, very real life. Just I love your minutes, Instagram yeah. feed. It's hilarious. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of just yeah. seems real. So what kind of things do you like What's to post that? on there? I, I tell you, I, I like the posts that don't feel like I'm pressured to post. Yeah. I mean, there are, of course, people that want to know what's going on, want to know when they can pre-order a thing or want to, you know, so I do try to do like the housekeeping posts where I let people know this collection is now in shops. Here's a first look at all the things that are coming out. Next. You know, I do the the, I guess they're kind of like businessy posts, but they don't feel like it really, but I like the posts that just, I have an idea and I go and do it, you yeah. know, and that might be like this week. It's been, I think everything from making a pie to wallpaper in my entryway to hand quilting, <laughs> I think yeah. have been the posts of the week. So, and sometimes it's just a thought about yeah. family or life or loss or whatever it might be, you know, yeah. so that's so great. It keeps it authentic. So you can go to that Instagram yeah. at it's at Anna Maria Horner and it's it, simply as it sounds right. So, okay. Now That's I'm going to mention this week's contest giveaway. It's so great. Anna Maria is giving away a fat quarter collection, the entire collection of her most recent, well, of welcome home. Is that your most recent or which one is that? Well, it's, it's the soonest to be. So oh, the current okay. collection out there is called, which is in stores now it's called made my day. But this is the next available collection for 2022. It's my first collection, technically, of 2022 called Welcome Home. And it's the one that was inspired by one of my favorite cities in the world. That's such a generous prize. Thank you so much. Okay, now as we wrap up, Anna Maria, what do you want quilters to take away most from our conversation today? Well, first of all, I'm just really appreciative that you have sat and listened to me babble on for however long this has been. I think that one of my favorite things to encourage students with in my class is to everything that I have made in my life has been better and prettier and more successful when I have spent enough time with it. I think that we got just like you sat down and listened today, maybe you were sewing, but maybe you were just listening. And I think that if maybe you were in the middle of a quilt and you left the room and listened to us and went back to the quilt, you probably walked back to that quilt with more calm and open eyes to see where it's headed. But I I think that what I want to inspire you to give yourself is time and to not be in a hurry. And I, because time for me always gets a place headed where it belongs, I think, in terms of just the visual success of a thing and how much I love it. And I think that we, particularly women, maybe, I don't know, we tend to hurry through things because there's an idea of getting it done that sometimes takes over. So kick it out the front door. Yeah. (laughs) Let a thing take the time it takes. And so, yeah, spoil yourself with extra time with your projects, I guess, is what I want you to take away today. That's such great advice. Thank you so much. Okay. Anna Maria, I just loved having you on the show. So thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. Thank you, Brandy. I appreciate it. And can't wait to um, see you again. 
So that was my show with Anna Maria Horner. It's so nice to hear the story of a mom of seven with a passion for fabric design, quilt pattern design, and an entrepreneur with a thriving quilt shop. And on top of all that goodness, she takes the time to nurture and mentor upcoming designers in her field. I love it when a quilter's story is filled with hard work, well-deserved success, and a mindset of abundance. And I really enjoyed sharing her story with you. And are you loving this podcast? I keep saying this at the end of every episode, but I literally have about 10 reviews of all time. So don't get me wrong. They are five-star reviews and I love the reviews I have, but I'd love it if you take the time to write a review for this podcast. The kindest thing you can do to support a creator is spread the word. Thank you for listening to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Until next time, dream big and have fun in the studio with the Quilter on Fire.